Amen. Good evening. Welcome again to our midweek service. Hard to believe we have a week in February already done, right? I mean, this year again is just going by, and the weeks do go by. I, I can't believe that the book of Acts, where, that where those 28 Wednesdays go, right? And now tonight we begin a new series in 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians. This is probably the first letter written in the New Testament. Now, there's some debate. It could be the book of James, but most believe that it was either James or 1 Thessalonians that were the first books written in the New Testament, uh, as far as letters go, not the Gospels. So this takes us back to ground zero, really, of Christianity, of the church. The, these are sort of the first principles, uh, the first things that the Holy Spirit has laid on the Apostle Paul to share with the early church that was established in Thessalonica. And we saw how that church was established in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. We have a record of Paul and his band of missionaries going into Thessalonica and establishing the church there. Now, later on, he writes this letter to them. And interestingly, this letter has a theme. It is a theme that you will find at the end of every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And that's why I have entitled this series, Living Life in Light of Jesus' Return. Living Life in Light of Jesus' Return. I want to show you this tonight as we begin our study of 1 Thessalonians. All the references to the coming of the Lord at the end of every chapter. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at chapter 3, verse 13. That we would be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 15. We tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. And finally, chapter 5, verse 23, that you would be, your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept entirely blameless until or at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every chapter ends with a reference to the coming of the Lord. And out of all the things that Paul could sort of use as a backdrop, it is getting Christians to live in light of eternity and in light of the coming of the Lord, to to always be immersed in what God has for them here, but to always keep one eye, if you will, to the sky and know that the Lord Jesus is coming back and to live life in light of that. Now with that, in chapter 1, 
And I'm going to give you the entire outline tonight, but we're going to take two weeks to cover these 10 verses. So we're only going to cover the first five verses. We're slowing way down here when we get into 1 Thessalonians. And we're only going to look at the first five verses, but I want to give you the outline of chapter 1. And what is chapter 1 all about? Living life in light of Jesus' return. What kind of church should we be? What kind of church should we be? If you are a Christian, then you are a part of the church, the body of Christ here on earth. And in chapter 1, Paul wants to set out from the very beginning, this is what we as Christians who are part of the church, this is what kind of church we should be. And let's keep this in mind. That means that as we are living life in light of Jesus' return, we are not to just be sliding for home. We're not to assume the lotus position and go out on a mountain somewhere and just hum till Jesus comes back. We are to be very active and very engaged in what God has called us to. So the first thing I want us to see tonight is that the first kind of church we should be is an encouraged church, an encouraged church. That's verse 1. Then you'll see tonight also an energetic church, an energetic church. Paul mentions in verse 3, your work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope. We'll talk more about that. Also, beginning this week and then into next week, an exemplary church, an exemplary church. Notice verse 7. As a result, you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Next, an evangelistic church. Verse 8, for from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth. And then finally, an expectant church. Verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. An encouraged church, an energetic church, an exemplary church, an evangelistic church, an expectant church. That's what kind of church we should be. Let's start tonight with an encouraged church. Notice Paul says, this letter is from Paul, Silvanus. He always used Silvanus instead of Silas. Luke always used Silas. And Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. How are we an encouraged church? First of all, notice, through our fellow believers and through our relationship with fellow believers, through our friends who are fellow believers and our partners in ministry who are fellow believers. Paul makes that very clear at the very beginning. This isn't just, you know, a one-person Lone Ranger deal here. Uh, first of all, you all, I'm writing to you all, this community of believers, the church, and remember, that is the Greek word ekklesia. It means we are called out as God's people from our individual homes, and we are to gather together, to assemble together as the community of God, to worship him, you see. So it's all about relationships. It's all about friendships. It's all about partnerships. And through these, we should be encouraged. 
We, there, there should be relationships with other believers in our life that sharpen us, that strengthen us, that encourage us, that refresh us, that stretch us. We all need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, or in this case, I'll even say a Paul, a Silas, and a Timothy. We need those that can pour into us and invest in us, who can be our mentors. We need those alongside of us that are sort of our spiritual equal and we just sort of share life and ministry together. And then we need our Timothys, those that we're pouring into and investing into as well. And they can be one person, that's very rare, but that's possible. They can be two people. They can be three different people. They can be different Christians in different seasons. But Paul is making the point here that the reason we can be encouraged is through our fellowship together as believers. Through us doing life and ministry together, God can use our lives to touch each other and to be a continual encouragement. Hopefully, you are drawing encouragement from some other believer somewhere or other believers. And hopefully you and I are being an encouragement to other believers. This is part of what kind of church we should be and how we can be an encouraged church. But that's not the biggest point. That's great, and that's part of it. But the best way you and I are, can be encouraged is by this phrase that Paul uses in the middle of verse 1. From Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and here it is, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, as God's people, the church, we are in God. What's that mean? How is that an encouragement? When you and I begin to contemplate what it means to be in God, it means multiple and many things. I'm just going to share a couple of them with you tonight that come to my mind. You might even see other things. The first thing I want us to go back to is the fact that when you and I are in God and in Jesus Christ, that we are no longer seen positionally as sinners. We are seen robed in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're no longer looked at as sinners. We are looked at as God's children, those who have accepted Christ by faith and now have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and are now made princes and princesses of God. In God, you see. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's one thing it means. The second thing it means is that when you and I are in God, we can be so encouraged because that means literally we are enveloped by God himself. So that again, anything that is going to get into our life and touch us has to first pass through the very loving hands of our God. And the only way God is going to allow something to get through there is for our ultimate good or someone else's ultimate good and his glory. 
And that's why we can be encouraged. God will allow nothing that is purposeless to ever pass through his hands and touch his children because we are in him. Also, because we are in him, that means everything that we go through, he's right there going through it with us. We are never alone. We are always there. And then that leads to the final thing I want to share tonight is being in God means that we have at our disposal all the resources that are within God, all the provision of God. Anything that can be used to meet the needs in our life can be found in our God. We are totally complete in him because he is an all-sufficient God. So when you and I are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means all that they are is available to all of us who are in them. I mean, I don't know about you, that blows my mind. We need to think more about that. What does it mean to be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then let's even say this, and then, oh my goodness, God decides to be in us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, God is as intimate with us, as as close, as near as anything or anyone could be. And so, We need to remember that so that we can continually be encouraged. Let's use this as application to us as a church. If we, the church of the Arizonans in Gilbert, if we, like the Thessalonians, are in God the Father... And in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means anything that we will ever need as a church, it's at our disposal. And and if we need something or we're lacking something, because we are in God, God will make sure that he gets it to us. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. So this is a wonderful phrase that we should literally take time to meditate on and contemplate on to encourage us. We are not only encouraged by our fellow believers and by our, the fellowship that we have with fellow believers, we are to be continually encouraged because we are in God and all that that means. So Paul then takes that and then gets a little bit specific at the very end of verse 1 when he says, grace and peace to you. In other words, God's grace and God's peace will continually be available to you as a church. It will continually be flowing into your midst because you are in God, and God is a God of grace and peace. So if you and I need grace, first of all, we'll have all the grace that we need, and we know that God's grace is sufficient. And let's not forget what God's grace is. It is his undeserved gift of supernatural and sufficient provision to meet all our needs. That's what grace is. It is undeserved. It is supernatural. It is sufficient. 
and it is God's provision to meet all our needs, and it continually flows. Now, can the grace of God be rejected by a church, by us individually? Absolutely. We can reject the grace of God, but that doesn't mean it's not available to us. Same thing with peace. Peace is this tranquil, settled, contented soul. It is God's gift of wholeness. And I love what this word means also in the original language. It literally is a word that sort of describes tying everything into God. Um, think of something like, I guess, I don't know, a, a piece of wood or something, say, standing on a stand. And it's got all these different ropes or strings coming out of it. Uh, because all of them are tied into this central thing. God says, you and I will be able to be at peace when we take every piece, every part of our life, even what we talked about Sunday, all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our burdens, all of our worries, all of our weights, and we tie them into God. And the more in our life, the more compartments of our life, the more rooms of our heart, the more pieces of our life we tie into God, the more at peace we will be. Because when something is hanging out there, then we're not going to be at peace because it's hanging out there, you see. And we haven't yet tied that into God. We need to bring anything and everything and everyone into God and tie it all into him. In that way, we have peace. And the ability to be able to do that, the availability of that kind of peace is always there. It is always flowing into the church. And so Paul is just taking two examples, grace and peace, but it could have been any of God's provision for his people. And Paul could have said, you know, God's love and God's joy and, you know, any of the fruit of the Spirit and on and on. But what he's just wanting to do is use a couple examples to, to see this is what it means to be in God. That at all times we have all that is available in God available to us. That's why as a church, as a Christian, we can never say to God, God, I don't have what I need. That, that's never the case. God will say, well, wait a minute. Aren't you in me? Yeah. Am I not all sufficient? Yeah. Then you have everything you need within me. You never have to look outside of me for anything you will ever truly need. That's how we can be an encouraged church. Let's talk about an energetic church. As part of that, notice how Paul starts out verse 2. We thank God always. Paul's a thankful Christian. In fact, look at verse 13 of chapter 2. He uses a very similar phrase. And so we too constantly thank God. Paul was in the business. He had a discipline in his life of being grateful of being appreciative, of being thankful. But notice specifically again, back in chapter 1, verse 2, what Paul is thankful for. 
I am thankful to God always for all of you. Wow. And you know why he's thankful for all of those Christians and Thessalonians? Because we're going to see in a minute. Because they're allowing God to work in their life. That made Paul so thankful to see other Christians allowing God to do what God wants to do in their life. That is an encouragement. That is such an encouragement. And that sort of extends the encouragement from verse 1 even into verse 2 and beyond. It's, it's sort of like it, it just continues to flow. I will tell you, your pastor and your worship leader, we're encouraged when we hear and see God working on Wednesdays and on Sundays and other days of the week. I know our ministry leaders are encouraged when they see the gals and the guys, you know, they're allowing God to work in their life. Our youth ministry, Crystal, and all those who work with our children. It's so encouraging when you see the children and the youth and stuff begin to allow God to work in their life. That's what Paul's thankful for. Paul is thankful that other Christians are opening themselves up to God like they never have before. And we should be the same. Notice something else. He says, we thank God always for all of you as we mention you constantly in our prayers. He's praying for these fellow Christians. Oh, and by the way, the word mention means to remember by name and need. Well, guess what? That implies a relationship. How can you pray for somebody if you don't even know who they are and what their need is? That's why God says when you are part of the church, you're supposed to be having relationships with each other to a level to where you know each other and you share with each other so that you can... Now, again, not everybody. We all can't have that kind of level of a relationship, but we all can have that kind of relationship with some in the body. And that's what God's expectation is of his church so that we can be an encouraged church to be praying for one another as we talked about even on Sunday. But notice, here's why Paul is so thankful. Because, verse 3, we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me go back, though, real quick before I get into the energetic part. And I, I want you to connect the words prayers at the end of verse 2 with the word presence in verse 3. Let's never forget that our prayers bring us into the very presence of God. Paul's reminding us of that. We have the privilege of the presence of God and of stepping into his presence through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can come right to our God and Father who is at work through his spirit in his people. And what is Paul so thankful for? First of all, they're working. <laughs> they're not sitting. They're not spectators. They are working. That word pictures activity. It pictures being energetic, engaged, 
occupied with something or in something? Are we working? Are we working? And whatever we are working at, hopefully it is obviously in tune and aligned with what God is asking us to be at work in. All of us have a work to do as part of the church. Amen. Then notice, Paul's also thankful for their labor. Folks, this word means painful toil, draining. When you and I are doing life in ministry for God the way we should, there's going to be times where we are drained, where it is painful, where it is toiling, it is laborious, or let's even use this word, even though we as men have no idea what this really means, to be in labor. You gals understand the pain of that and the, the toil of all that, but that's the concept. Oh, to live in light of Jesus' return means that we're not just sitting around taking it easy. We're working. We're laboring. Oh, and we are enduring. This speaks of staying power, stick to itiveness. We say, stay by the stuff, steadfast, not a quitter. Take a hold of something and you get it done and you do it until Jesus tells us not to. Now, I want you to notice something, though. Paul was grateful that he saw these Thessalonians working, laboring, and enduring. But notice, he's saying, but all of these things are fueled by God when they're done properly and healthily. So notice in verse 3, first of all, their work is fueled by their faith. And what is faith? It is the conviction that the things that God has said to us and revealed to us are absolutely true and trustworthy. It is living by that, that strong conviction in the word and promises of God. And it is always a response, a positive response to what God is revealing. It is the difference between faith and belief. Remember, the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. Faith is not belief. Belief is obviously understanding something and intellectually being able to grasp something. The demons know there's a God and who he is, yet they have no love for God. They, they have, don't want to follow God. They, they do not adore God, appreciate him, admire him in any way. Faith, first of all, is a gift from God. And it is a gift that God gives to his people in order that we respond to him in a positive way. In a way that benefits and blesses us and others and brings glory to him. And so their work is being fueled by their faith. By the way, where does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. We've got to be people then of the book, people of his word, people who are in the word, because that's where we're, our faith is going to be built and confirmed and assured and strengthened so that then we can be doing the work that God calls us to because our work is fueled by faith. 
Part of the reason why workers in the church continually are burned out and quit because they're not being fueled properly. They're being burned out because they're not ministering out of the overflow of God doing something in them. And so they're doing it in their own power and in their own strength, in their own wit and wisdom, and that eventually wears out. Notice, labor. Labor is fueled by something as well, by love. By not only our love, our growing love for God, but our love for others, our love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that a man or a woman would lay down their life for their friends. Agape love, a selfless, sacrificial love. That's what fuels that kind of labor. Because if you're doing that kind of labor and you are drained and it is laborious and, and it is toilsome and, and you're just at the end of yourself, you're like exhausted, but you know you're doing what God wants you to do, that's being fueled by love. You're willing to lay down yourself in that way. And then endurance is fueled by our hope. And again, notice hope is not an abstract concept. It is a person. Endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in a person, Jesus. He's our hope. That's where our confidence and our expectation and our anticipation is in. And that ties in with the theme of the entire book, living life in light of Jesus's return. An encouraged church, an energetic church. You see, the kind of church that God wants is a church that is willing to, to be energetic in the work and the labor of what God has called them to. And all of us have a part to play. All of us have a position to take. All of us have a role to play in the church. But that means we've also, as we've talked about coming into this year, we've got to be faithful to the house of God so that we can, you know, get to, to be involved with it and, and begin to understand what my spiritual family here is all about and who my spiritual family is and be dedicated to that spiritual family so that I begin to build relationships with my spiritual family and I begin to know them by name and I know their needs and I can pray for them and I'm continually interacting with them and that way I am encouraged and I'm also then using those relationships to, to be a, a conduit of the way I work and labor and endure for the Lord. I guess we're only going to get to verse 4 today. That's okay. So much here. We know, verse 4. By the way, that word know means to see very clearly. We know, brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. And that he has purposefully chosen you. Wow. Wow. Paul wants that to hang there with them and us too. He, in a sense, is saying, I see it clearly. I see clearly how much God loves you. 
Because as I said at the very beginning of our service tonight, Jesus didn't just die and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. He died so that we could be his workmanship, his masterpiece, that he could begin to sculpt out of this raw clay, this, this raw stone, something beautiful, something that would bring him glory, some, something that would touch other people's lives. And, and that's exactly what Paul was saying here. God loves you and me so much. He has an eternal plan and purpose for us. And that then speaks about chosen. Each of us, we are the chosen of God because he's chosen us with a purpose and plan in mind. Everything about our physical makeup, our emotional makeup, and our spiritual makeup is not coincidence. It's not an accident. Everything about the way God made us, the gifts he gave us, the abilities he gave us, the talents he gave us, all of that ties into his purposeful choice of us. And it is when you and I allow God then to come in and begin to work in us and through us like the Thessalonians did, oh my, the sky's the limit of what God can do. Because then God uses all of us as we come together to, to be this, this beautiful picture of him. Because one of us can only reflect certain aspects of him. But when the whole body comes together, then there is a more complete picture of who God is. Because we all bring our own peace, our, our own part of our reflection of God into the body, and then the body becomes this beautiful sort of masterpiece, if you will, itself, this collage. Marty will like this. The, the quilt. Judy, all of you, Teresa. You all who put those masterpieces together. Peace, peace here, peace there. One piece stands alone, not so much, but then it's brought together and look what it makes. That's us. So next week, we'll pick it up in verse 5 and we'll talk about being an exemplary church, an evangelistic church, and an expectant church. Father, we thank you tonight that, Lord, even a couple thousand years ago, when that little church was planted by Paul and his missionary friends in Thessalonica, God, what an impact that church would be several thousand years later. That, Lord, even now, they are being an exemplary church. They are being an example to the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona, of what kind of church we should be living our lives in light of the return of Christ. Lord, may we be engaged. May we be energetic. May we be all in for you and what you have for us here on earth the short time that we are here. May we not waste our time. May we not get involved in things that really don't matter and that in eternity will be worthless. May we grasp a hold of the things you want us to and give it our all. And God, as you bring 
the people, Lord, into our lives that you want us to, to have partnerships with and whatever, God, may we use these relationships to not only grow ourselves, but, but to encourage one another and refresh one another and, and strengthen one another as you have designed it to be. God, most of all, may we never forget that as your people, as your church, we are in you. We're in you, God. Everything that is in you is available to us, your people. God, we never lack. We're never deficient. We never have to want or be at a loss for anything because we are in you. May that be a continual encouragement to us, not only today, but every day, God. May we remember and be mindful of that truth. Go with us, God, the rest of this week and bring us back Sunday once again to gather together and assemble to worship you, our God. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. See you next week.